Hobson, like there's a researcher at the Wharton School of Business who studies this in, in business circles. He says, no matter wh- who you research, everybody lies. 60% of adults that they studied, if they were talking to someone for more than 10 minutes, lied multiple times to friends. They studied conversations where people were talking to strangers. They lied more. We lie. You lie, I lie, we all lie. It's an epidemic. And we, you know, we self-righteously poke fun at Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, politicians. We are just as bad as them. Which should humble us. Because it's just re- people, yeah, I have friends who really get ginned up about Donald Trump. And I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I'm not going to tell you who I vote for. But I didn't vote for Donald Trump. But people who get ginned up about Donald Trump and him not telling the truth, he doesn't tell the truth any less than other politicians do. I mean, he says some pretty unusual things, but I just read an article about this on 538. And not that you can believe everything you read on the internet, but they were citing all this research that's been done for years and years and years about politicians. And they say all politicians are not you know, careful as they handle facts and truth. But surprisingly, a lot of them try to keep their campaign promises. But why would we think politicians lie more than us when they're just people like us when we lie? So I want to look at this whole thing today. And we all say we value the truth and the honesty. We all do. I've never met anybody who, uh, and I've asked this question, I mean, maybe they're out there. I've never met anybody who said they don't believe that truth telling is important, being honest is important. Uh, I'm sure there are people who don't. But generally, people at least grasp the concept that everything works better, particularly in business and economics, if you can trust one another, if we tell the truth. But what I want to sh- try to do today is I want to show you that dishonesty is costly, but truthfulness is richly rewarding. Dishonesty is costly, and truthfulness is richly rewarding. Now, you may think, well, oh, that's a, boy, let me write that down. I've never heard that before. But the truth is, most of the time when we lie, we lie because we think telling the truth is going to cost us more than being dishonest. Doesn't it? Isn't that really what's going on inside us? That we're afraid. If I tell the truth here, it's going to cost me. Now, you're not going to be surprised that the Bible, the Ten Commandments says it, you know, famously, that the Bible over and over and over stresses honesty and truthfulness and vulnerability. It's not going to be a surprise the passage I read you today. But I want to show you some of the benefits of, of honesty. And then I want to show you, hopefully, how the gospel can make you a more honest person, a more truthful person. And that Applying the gospel, if you really believe the gospel and what it says about you and what it says about God, how he feels about you, it's going to change your communication with people and you're going to become a more honest person. But you have to believe it, all right? So if you have a Bible with you, if you could open 
the Bible up, and there's, there's paperback Bibles under the chair seat in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. It's this, we're going to start, we're going to go through this section throughout the summer, and it touches on all these really practical topics. But ironically, Paul starts these top, he, he gets into time management. He gets into sexual ethics. He gets into the way that we talk to one another. He gets into money. He gets into uh, raising children. He gets into all kinds of very, very practical things. But he starts this long section with truth. He starts, and Paul usually, if you, if you know much about the Apostle Paul, the way he writes is when he starts long lists of things, he'll usually prioritize it. And the first thing that he begins with is important. In fact, it's crucial. So Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, let each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. For we are all members, excuse me, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one another. So let me say that again. He says, therefore, let each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Some translations say members of one another. So what is this falsehood? It's an interesting word. Falsehood there is this Greek word, pseudos. Pseudos. Have you ever heard of a pseudonym? You know, it's a made-up name. The word pseudos here means a lie. And a, a simpler way of, of understanding, of defining it is this. Whatever is not consistent with the way things are. Whatever is not consistent with the way things are. Whatever is not what it appears to be is falsehood to put off. And when he says put off there, that word's used, it was used in the ancient world where when people were runners and they began to go on these marathons, they would take off every kind of weight that they could that would hinder them in this long race. They would lay it aside because they, were, they, they could run further without those encumbrances. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, because we have this great cloud of witnesses like, like in a coliseum in a race, he would say, let us lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us or encumbers us and let us run, fix our eyes on Jesus and run this race with endurance. So what he's saying is that falsehood is an encumbrance in our lives that hinders us in every way imaginable. And it's something we have to, we have to lay it aside. Now, that can be interpreted two different ways. It, it, it means once and for all say, I'm letting go of falsehood. I'm starting this journey to become an honest person, as honest as I can be, as consistently as I can be. So it's both those things. A journey has to have a beginning, but a beginning is not the end. So when you come to Christ, Jesus, it says here, speak truthfully to one another. That's that word there, speak truthfully, that Greek word is the same word that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus embodied truthfulness. He embodied honesty. He embodied vulnerability. 
the God who made everything from the beginning of the Bible on revealed himself as someone who makes himself vulnerable to us. He made people with free will. He made people who could use their free will in ways that broke his heart and hurt others. He, in the incarnation, he came as a baby, completely helpless and vulnerable. This is the gospel. And then at the end of his earthly life, he was crucified, stripped naked, and unmercifully hung on a cross for our sins. And we'll get into that in a second. So we're supposed to put off this stuff once and for all, but also as a journey. Because you don't, no matter how many times you say, I'm going to stop being dishonest, you're going to find yourself still being dishonest. And so it's a journey to become like Christ. But that journey has to start with this radical commitment to truthfulness and honesty. Without that, you will find yourself wobbling all along the way and never getting there and never then experiencing consistently the benefits of being an honest and truthful person. So, let me give you, let me give you three stories. Uh, a lady who, uh, a young woman who runs a tech startup in New York City wrote in the New York Times about uh, her adventure with learning to be honest. And she had an investor that, that was a part of investing in their company, and she sat down with him, and he's, he's an English guy, he's, and she didn't give his last name, and so I, I, I'm sure I could have figured it out, but he's one of those, he's, he's an investor, he's very successful, and he invests in all kinds of companies. He started a number of companies, lives on the East Coast, you know, very, very well, well off. She sat down with him, and she asked, you know, talking about their company, and he was investing in it and getting some feedback from him. She asked him, you know, you've been at this for a while. You know a lot about business, and I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this question, but what's the secret to success in business? What, what has made a difference in your life? And here's what he said. The secret to success in business and in life is to never, ever tell a lie. And she just said, like she pushed back in her chair, what? He said it again. And he said, complete honesty is the access to ultimate power. Now, it's not going to go in some weird direction here. He's, he's making a point. And so she said she started thinking about all the lies that she tells every day. And she's, you know, she's running this company. And then she asked him, why he believes, like, the secret to success in businesses is honesty. Here's what he said. Every time he would see a pitch, someone wanted him to invest in a company, he waits until the end of the presentation, then he asks the entrepreneurs to go back through their presentation and point out every lie they just told. And he says there are, all, there are always plenty. And as soon as the entrepreneurs open up with the truth, he says what they learn is they can start managing what they should be doing next. And he says, in his experience, telling lies is the number one reason why entrepreneurs fail. Not because telling lies makes you a bad person, but because the act of lying plucks you from the present 
preventing you from facing what is really going on in your world. And every time you over-report a metric, under-report a cost, or are less than honest with a client or a member of your team, you create a false reality and you start living with it. And he says, now, you know the right path to take and choose another, and in so doing, you lose control of the situation. Now, rather than tackling the problem that really exists head on, you have managed, you have to now manage the fallout from the lie that you told. And then you have to keep trying to maintain that lie. You have to remember it and live in that lie that's not reality. And, you know, one of the things I've tried to, to say to you guys over and over and over and over is the only time that God can be real to you is right now. And anything that takes you out of this present moment takes you away from where you can encounter God in a very real personal way in your life. And lying takes you out of the present moment you're in where God's waiting to meet you. And it takes you into this false reality that God isn't in. I don't mean God isn't everywhere, but I mean that's not the real world. It's, it's, it's a fantasy world that you've created. And all of us do it. We all do it. And what Paul's saying in this is, because of who we are in Christ, he's calling us to recognize we don't have to live that way anymore. This whole section that we're, re- we're going to be reading in over the next couple of months, Paul starts out by saying, I insist you no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Because in Christ, you're a new creation. And, and God has a better life for you. And then he goes into this long series of explorations of how do you live this new good life? But he starts with falsehood. And he takes it on. See, the thing is, because we started lying when we were little kids, and lies are just the way we live, our lives are so wrapped up with dishonesty, we have to put off falsehood before we can put on the truth. You see that? You can't just start saying, I'm going to start being true. I have a friend who's in AA, and we had lunch this week, and I was asking him about this. You know, and he said, he pulled out his phone, and he pulled up the big book, and he showed me, in AA, when you start in the program, the first thing they tell you is, you cannot begin recovery unless you're willing to be brutally honest to God, to yourself, and to other people. That you cannot ever get over alcohol or or whatever substance you're abusing unless you're willing to be honest. Because we lie to God all the time. We don't think we are, but we do. We lie to ourselves all the time, and we lie to other people all the time. And so we have, to put off, we have to put off falsehood. We have to begin to tell the truth to God, to ourselves, and to other people. So this young woman, Rebecca, she said, after seeing this, she, part of the, the article describes something she saw in her own company and uh, some of the leadership in her company and the management that worked with her. Then she said, I realized this probably was the best way to do business. And so here's what she did. She said, I went to a meeting where I was going to pitch our company to another potential investor. And I was very nervous because we'd just been through this meeting where they looked at some of their costs and, and they had some cost overruns. 
and she was trying to explain why the bottom line didn't look very good. And she was going to go pitch an investor, and the investors want to know everything. They want, they want sunlight, right? So she said, I was really nervous. And so she said, I, what I decided to do was to tell the whole truth. And she's kind of implying she'd never done that before with her investors. She said at the end of the conversation, and she, uh, she explained that the reason why uh, some of the numbers were so poor is because she had made a poor executive decision and it had cost the company money and it wasted some money, uh, not an insignificant amount. And here's what happened. And at the end of the conversation, he said, I really appreciate how transparent you've been with me, Rebecca. Give me a day to think about it. The next day, he called back and invested. And she said, I was floored. It's true. When you're honest, it, life works better than it does when you're dishonest. That is not what really most of us believe. Deep inside, you believe it up here, but you don't believe it in your heart. That's why we struggle with being honest, because we think if I'm honest, it's going to cost me more than if I tell the truth. But the opposite's true. The opposite is true. So, I'm going to give you another story here. Uh, I got called up on my computer. Two uh, researchers at Notre Dame University did a study, and they recruited 110 people. That was the sample size. And these were people from 18 to 71 years old. And what they asked them to do is they said, our research is going to require you to come back once a week for 10 weeks. And what we're going to ask you is each week we're going to ask you how many times do you think you lied in the last week? And they split the, control, the group into two groups. And 55 of the people got explicit instructions on how to avoid lying. Not to, in a dishonest way, but you know, when, when you're tempted to lie, what should you do to manage those feelings and be as truthful as you can be? Okay? And the other half, they didn't give them that. So they wanted to see how that might impact the outcomes. They just asked them to come in once a week and tell the truth about how many times they lied, to the best of their recollection. What they discovered was, number one, everybody said they lied less. Surprise. Number two, the group that had gotten advice on how to properly avoid lying lied even more, I mean, excuse me, even less than the other group. They reported, not only that, because they researched a bunch of other aspects of their lives, the group that lied less reported dramatic improvements in their relationships, less trouble sleeping, less stress, less tension, fewer headaches, fewer sore throats. What they found was honesty impacts your health. Your, your, your mental health. Your, they, they said that they were, these researchers were surprised at how much honesty impacted all these people. Now, I'll tell you another story. Uh, no, I'm, let's, let's go to a passage in the Bible. I want you to see how this looks in the Bible, because this is a story you've probably heard before. But it's an example of, of how lying works. I'm just going to summarize it, but it's in Mark chapter 5. And uh, 
Jesus is in a particular village in, in uh, Israel, and someone says, look, my daughter is really sick. Would you come pray for her? And so Jesus says, sure. And he's on his way, and there's a huge crowd with him, and, he's, and as he's trucking along on his way to go pray for this uh, synagogue leader's daughter, it says, uh, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And I'm reading in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Interesting. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But Jesus, oh, excuse me, the, you, uh, and then you see the people crowding around you, his disciples said, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This was a woman, because of the nature of her illness, who wasn't welcome in society because if she touched someone, she would make them ceremonially unclean. They couldn't go to the temple and worship. They couldn't then experience in their minds God's blessings. And so this woman was like, might, have been, might as well have been a leper. So she had to hide her illness to function. And so she had this hope in Jesus. She heard about him. And boom, he's going through her village. He's got this, but he's got this crowd around him. She can't go up and reveal herself because people are going to say, get away from us. She's going to be shunned. And so she, she lies. She presses through the crowd, just touches his clothes, and boom, she gets healed. Just, she feels it in her body just because she touched his clothes. And then Jesus stops and says, who did this? Who touched me? And everyone, you know, come on, Jesus. You know, you're a little you know, OCD here. Come on. Jesus knew it was important for him to draw this woman out. And did you notice it says she fell, in before him, fell down before him and, and in fear, fear, she was afraid when she told the truth, she would get punished. It's going to cost me. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, he was talking about not just the physical healing. He was talking about the healing of her soul at that point. Because she'd already had faith and been healed physically. Now, Jesus was calling her to trust him in another way, to trust him as the Messiah, her Messiah, her Savior. And 
when she, so she, he said, you put your faith in me for one thing, now put your faith in me for everything in your life. And she was rewarded. See, here's what the Bible says. It says this. If we confess our sins to one another, this is James 5, we will be healed. And that word healed there is the Greek word for saved. It's translated healed, saved. It's translated interchangeably. And it just means salvation. God's kingdom is salvation in the comprehensive sense of every dimension of our lives. The world tells us if you want to succeed, hide the truth. Put your best forward, foot forward. Put the best face on things. Shade the truth. Jesus says, and his apostles got it, and then they rephrased it and reinterpreted it because they encountered it in him. Be honest with God, yourself, and others, and you will be healed. Your life will be better for it. And surprising ways. And I will tell you this story. There's a young guy I know when he was, uh, when he was in college, a freshman in college. This wasn't very long ago. He had, was going through a rough patch in his life. He had he'd been abusing alcohol and he had tried to kill himself and he was, he was put in a psychiatric ward because he had, just had a breakdown. As soon as he got out of the psychiatric ward, he was driving and he hit another car from behind, rear-ended him. And he was so freaked out because he didn't, have, he didn't have car insurance. Not a good thing. He turned his lights off and raced around him. This was at night. And drove around town trying to escape. And then the car started following him. And, and at a certain point, he, he thought, this is crazy. I, you know, I need to stop and just take the consequences. So he stops. The car pulls up behind him. The people get out and go, are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, you rammed into our car, then you drive away, and you had your lights off. You could have hurt people. And he's just freaking out. And he said, listen, call the police. I hit you. I shouldn't have done that. I don't have insurance. And then he just thought, I'm just going to tell him a story. And he was totally mortified to tell them that he'd have a nervous, he just had a nervous breakdown. He tried to commit suicide. He's struggling with alcohol abuse. And these people look at him and go, you're the set. This is a brand new car because just about a month ago, another person totaled our car who hit it and then drove away. And, he, and, and, he, and he's going, oh, this is not going to be good. These people, I'm going to pay for everything that that guy did. And they looked at him and they said, we're not going to call the police. We're just going to eat this. We're going to pay for the bumper. The whole back of the bumper is all smashed in. And they said, uh, they, they gave him uh, a, a card to the church they went to. And they said, we forgive you and we'd love for you to come by our church sometime and just visit us. And when that guy told me that story, he, was, he started crying. He said, that was where this whole truthfulness thing started taking root in my life. Now, it was a little while before it all worked out. But he said, I knew that was God. And at that point in his life, he didn't believe in God. He was learning what God really works hard to, to screw into our heads is dishonesty is way more costly than truthfulness. And truthfulness is richly rewarding if you embrace it as a lifestyle. So 
I want to ask you to, to do something as we, as we come to the table today. The gospel can free us from dishonesty more and more and more if we believe it and we apply it to our lives. Because here's, here's how you do it. If you're struggling with a lie of some kind, what you need to ask yourself is, what is God like? And you may think, that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going through. Just, just watch. And you realize, wow, God is, he's good. God's merciful. He's forgiving. He's a provider. He, there's so many attributes of God. You remember, then what has he done in my life? Or what has he done in the cross? And you recall to mind what Jesus has done for you, that he's, that he's died for you on the cross when you're at your worst. And he's forgiven you of everything you've ever done and everything you're ever going to do. And he says, you're my beloved child. Nothing can separate you from my love in Christ. That's what the Father says. And you hold on to that. What? Who is God? What has he done for me? And the gospel begins to shape the way you see yourself. It begins to shape the emotions of your heart. And you begin to apply it to who you are at that moment. And what gets rid of fear? What gets rid of fear? Only perfect love. You can't talk yourself out of fear. You only overcome fear when you're loved. When you're loved perfectly. So when we recognize this temptation to lie in the moment, take note of the emotions that you're feeling. You're almost always going to be feeling fear with it. And then you bring the gospel into it and you invite Jesus, Jesus, come and calm this fear in my heart because I know you're going to provide for me. You're going to protect me. You're my advocate. If I have to expose this part of my life that's not very attractive, you're going to be for me. Whatever I lose in this relationship, I don't lose you. I don't lose your love. You're with me. And it's this game changer when you begin to apply this in your life over and over and over. So we're going to come to the Lord's table. Being honest requires above everything else, vulnerability. Would you agree with me? If you're going to be honest, you have to be vulnerable. So many times, what's going to happen when you open your mouth and you explain the good, the bad, and the ugly? It could be trouble. And you're going to feel vulnerable. And the, the Lord's table says, this is what happens when we're vulnerable. We may get crushed, but the life of God comes from that, and we meet God's life in it. The Lord's table invites us over and over and over not to run from pain, not to avoid things that are difficult. It tells us over and over and over that God is in control. He's sovereign over all things, and that we can find Him in the things that we avoid. And that so many times if we feel like God's so far away, it's because we're avoiding the places where he can be found, where he can be experienced. And this is not, this doesn't look like the cross, but this is the cross. That's why the church, when we take communion, we always say these words. 
Paul said, this is what I received, what I was taught by the, the rest of the church, that when on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup at the end of the Passover meal and he said, this is my blood shed for you for a new covenant, a new way to know God, that God would be known through my pain by people that came to me and admitted their vulnerability. They admitted their, the ugliness of their lives. They didn't run from the truth about who they really were. They found if they, if they ran to this place, they would find room at the table for them, that they wouldn't be excluded. And the thing is, the fear we have, every one of us have, is that we will be excluded if we're really known. Don't you feel that? Don't you ever feel that in your heart? If people know who I am, they will reject me because we've experienced it. We've done it to other people. This table says there is always room for you here. Bring your mess and I will heal you. My love will begin to heal you. But we just have to be honest. So I want you to pray with me. I want you to stand. And could the folks that are going to pass out communion come and assume the position? A couple over here. Somebody help us. Go ahead and grab the bread and the wine, Mike. Kathy. And to the people that do it, come over here and help us. Thanks, Dickinson. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I just wrote this simple little prayer. Uh, so just, just close your eyes for a minute and pray this with me. And then after you do that, I want you to come up and take the elements. And I want you to bring the truth about yourself, who you are, just in your own heart. Maybe some part of your life that, that you don't want anybody to know and say, Lord, I'm not going to hide this anymore. I've run from it. I've avoided it. But I believe that I can meet you here if I begin to let others know who I really am. Some part of my life that I'm ashamed of. What we're going to do today is I'm asking you to go on a journey, Vineyard, as a church, into truth. I believe the Lord wants to invite every community of people to be a cloud of witnesses to other people that, that they don't have to be afraid anymore of being honest and being who they really are and being known by others. And I want you to, to take a step today to say, today I'm starting this journey where I'm going to put away all falsehood I know of. And with God's help, I'm going to try to move forward and do that every day. And when I fall and I'm dishonest, I'm going to get up and I'm going to repair that and I'm going to try to move forward every day, just step by step. It's a journey. That's what you're doing. Now I want to ask you, don't come take communion today if you're not ready to do that. Not as any punishment. They're, they're, you're not missing anything. But when, you, when we pray this prayer, you're going to understand what's going on. Okay? So pray with me out loud. Father of light, there's no darkness of any kind in you. I come to you today to admit that I've lived a life 
filled with dishonesty and lying. And my dishonesty has damaged my life and hurt many other people. And it's broken your heart. I come to this table today seeking refuge in Jesus who was vulnerable and honest and died on the cross in my place to deliver me from the powerful grip of my lies and free me to be vulnerable and honest like him. Because Christ died for me, I believe I am now a new creation. I'm now a beloved child of God with nothing to fear. I lay aside my life of falsehood and I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit of truth so I can join Christ on his journey of being completely truthful to God, myself, and others. Amen.